text, let's turn to Mark. We're going to look at uh, Mark's Advent text, which is very unique. Uh, and here's how we're going to start. Uh, Jeff Houle was a longtime churchgoer. And uh, one ordinary, normal, regular Sunday, uh, his normal Sunday routine was rocked. Uh, in, the perfectly, in the middle of a perfectly good, boring Sunday school class, uh, this woman had the audacity to actually be honest. And in the middle of a Sunday school class, in front of everyone, she says, I have never felt free as a Christian. And it was like everyone froze. It was like she had just confessed that she had buried bodies in her backyard or something. I mean, eyes got wide and cheeks got flushed and hearts started racing and hands started trembling. And as Jeff Houle looked back on this phenomenal moment where there was this incredible uh, moment of real honesty in the midst of a Sunday school, in the midst of church, he says this. He says, I believe she's not alone. Have you never felt freedom as a Christian? Welcome to Advent. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Maybe it's just me. Am I reading this? I'm reading this. Let's read this. Here we go. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to go down to verse 8. So in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared. The Greek, the original language is phenomenal. Everything about this is just sudden. He pops up. He comes out of nowhere. Nobody sees it coming. You begin with the gospel, and now you have this guy appearing in the middle of the wilderness, and you don't know how he got there. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now... John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. That's a great diet. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than me, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we ask, we know that it takes someone besides us to resurrect us. It takes someone besides us to make us alive. It takes someone besides us to put horrible things about us to death. It takes someone besides us to change our life. It takes someone besides us to speak us back to life again. And so, Holy Spirit, Jesus, Father, would you work? In your name we pray, amen. All right, so have you ever felt, have you never felt free as a Christian? Have you never felt free as a Christian? Uh, if so, you're not alone. If so, Mark completely understands you. This text completely gets you. 
I mean, I want you to see that Mark begins Advent unlike all the others. No one begins Advent like him. I mean, you have Matthew starts Advent with Jesus' humanity. It's like he did Ancestors.com, and he just gives you this genealogy of Jesus. He says, look, here's Jesus' genealogy. Here's his ancestors. His ancestors go all the way back to Abraham. He's an ancestor of David. And then you get Luke, and Luke starts with Jesus' birth. So Luke is just, he's tedious. He's a historian. He wants you to know the historical facts regarding Jesus' birth. He wants you to know what it looked like, what it smelled like, what people said. Because if anything, Christianity is historical. If anything, Jesus is a real person and he had a real birth. And everybody knows it. And then you get to John and he starts Advent, not with Jesus' birth or Jesus' humanity. He goes to Jesus' divinity. He's he's not even into Ancestors.com. He goes back to the pre-existent one. He starts taking Jesus' ancestry all the way back to the ultimate beginning and ultimate reality of all things, God himself. And he starts teaching us that what happened when, when Jesus was born and when Jesus came into this world, it was God adding humanity to divinity. There was no subtracting going on in God. There was the addition going on with God. God himself added human nature. There's no emptying that way. The emptying was the adding of humanity. Powerful stuff. John is just breathtakingly theological. Breathtakingly clear with his theology. But you get to Mark and he doesn't start like any of them. You get to Mark and he doesn't even start with Jesus. He starts with you. Look at verses 1 and 2, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger, the voice of one crying. Grammatically, the comma goes here, so the wilderness is included in the crying. The wilderness isn't the place that the crying goes in, though that's technically true too. But the wilderness is part of the crying, part of the voice, part of the preaching. It goes like this, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. In the wilderness, make his path straight. And then look at verse 4. John appeared again. It's like it, the verb starts first. Appeared, John, baptizing in the wilderness. Mark starts with Advent. He starts Advent with us in the wilderness. Old Testament history. In Old Testament history, I want you to look at verses 2 and 3. He summarizes three major Old Testament texts. He combines Exodus. He combines Malachi. He combines Isaiah. He just takes and summarizes all Old Testament history because in Old Testament history, which he documents in verse 2 and 3, he just blows by Old Testament history and says this, that the wilderness is the place of exile. Wilderness is the place of captivity. Wilderness is the place of being barren. Wilderness is the place of bondage. Wilderness is the place of chains. It's a history of being exiled in a wilderness outside the world of the garden. It's being exiled into a place called Egypt. 
It's being exiled into a literal wilderness outside the promised land. And then it's being exiled into a, to probably one of the greatest kingdoms that ever lived outside of David, Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. So in other words, Mark assumes the reader has never felt free. Mark assumes your chains. And throughout the rest of the book, he assumes that you feel the chains of bad news, that you feel the chains of a doctor's report. Uh, you feel the chains of someone saying unkind and untrue things of you. He assumes that you feel the chains of your relationships, your hurt feelings, your misunderstandings, your conflict. He assumes you feel the chains of your circumstances. You don't like your job. You feel the pressure to perform at work. You feel the pressure to perform at school. You feel the pressure to perform on the ball field. You feel the pressure to perform in the music hall. You feel the pressure to perform in your classroom. You even feel the pressure to perform at home. You feel the pressure to perform everywhere. He assumes that you feel the change of not liking your roommate or your marriage or the people you work with. In other words, Mark assumes you don't like your life right now. But most of all, more than anything else, Mark assumes you feel the chains of you. I mean, Mark is basically saying, listen, Jonah was swallowed by a whale, and so have you. You've been swallowed by the whale of self. <laughs> You've been swallowed by the whale of you. In other words, you cannot help it. You cannot not think about yourself. You can't stop thinking about how am I feeling and how am I doing? Am I proving myself? Do people like me? Am I loved? How are people treating me? Am I succeeding? Am I important? Am I better than them? We can't stop. We've been swallowed by self. He assumes you cannot not think about your wounds. That you can't stop thinking about your failures, your regrets, the things that you've done that you just can't forgive yourself about. He assumes that you can't stop thinking about the wounds that you've received from other people, the failures that people have pushed on you, how they've hurt you, how they've disrespected you, how they've not loved you, how they've withheld relationship from you, how they've not forgiven you. He assumes you cannot not think about your unhappiness and all your unmet needs. He assumes you cannot not think about your losses of a loved one, of respect, of your bitterness and your pain and your anger. I mean, Mark assumes you've never felt free. He assumes your chains. Some of you are thinking, good night, Jeff. I don't feel that way. I don't feel chained. I'm good. My relationships are good. 
My circumstances are good. So you might feel like Voltaire did. Voltaire is a French Enlightenment writer of the 1700s. He's a famous critic of Christianity. I'm not saying you're a critic of Christianity because you feel good. Just saying you might feel like he did. This is what he said about his good life. He said, paradise is wherever I am. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I mean, I mean, seriously, if you asked me, Jeff, do you really believe that? I probably would say, yeah, I do. Yeah, when I walk into the house, I want to say, hey, y'all, paradise is here because I'm here. I act like it. I mean, good night. He also said behind every successful man stands a surprised mother-in-law. That is phenomenal. That's absolutely breathtaking. I think that's really good, too. However, it does seem, though, as Voltaire got on in his life and as he started getting to the end of his life, he actually started agreeing with Mark. He actually started agreeing with this passage. He started conceding to it. You know what he said? This is what he said. Later in life, he writes, everything is fine today. That is our illusion. Mark assumes you've never felt free. He assumes your chains. And he wants to set you free. The greatest prophet who ever lived in the Old Testament was a guy named Elijah. Maybe you've heard of him. He was so great. Kids, he was so great. He didn't die. I mean, witnesses, when they described the event, they said, well, the first one, they threw a microphone in the person. The person says, well, he's from Texas. Well, there was this chariot horse thing of fire. And it, it, he just vanished. Disappeared, like evaporated, right? To another person he asked, and this person's from the Northeast, they described it, well, it was a tornado of fire. Still others said, no, 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 you got it wrong. No, it wasn't any of those things. It was this army of angels that came down and took him. It was the first UFO. What's that place in 51? First Area 51. Whatever it was, whatever happened to this guy, the common belief in the day, the common belief not only in Israel, the common belief in all Israel's history, the common belief in the ancient world was he's coming back. And when he does, it will be the end of the world. It will be the arrival of God. It will be the end of the wilderness. It will be the end of all exile. It will be the end of all captivity. It will be the end of all chains. Chains will fall. In fact, the book of Malachi in the Bible, the last book in the Old Testament, says just that. Listen to what it says. It literally says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, I want you to look at verse 2. Mark is quoting Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger. But Mark does something incredibly spectacular here, something incredible that you can't do, something incredible that only he could do. He changed the Bible. He rewrites Scripture. Scholars freak out here. I did a dissertation on how you read the Old Testament. 
And when you have these New Testament writers reading the Old Testament like that, they all freak out. They say, you can't do that. Well, he did. How could he do that? What does he say? Look what he does. He changes the future tense. Behold, I will send in Malachi. He changes it to the present tense. Behold, I send. And then notice what he does. He changes, behold, I will send Elijah. And he changes it to, behold, I send my messenger. What is going on? What is Mark doing? How could he do such a thing? I want you to look at verse 6. This is the answer. Here it is. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. This is the same description used in the Old Testament for guess who? Elijah. What Mark is saying is that Elijah has returned. What Mark is saying is Elijah has finally come back. And this means it's the end of the world. It's the end of the wilderness. It's the end of captivity. Chains, can you hear them? They're falling off. But how, you ask? You're like, like me, I come to this text, I go, good night, how though? How are they falling off? I don't feel the fall of my chains. How are the chains falling off? How can you start feeling the release of your chains? How can you and I start feeling <laughs> free? First, notice that it does happen, though. What happens, Jeff? Chains do fall off. Look at verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Notice where John is. He's in the wilderness. In other words, he's in the chains. He's in the captivity. He's in the exile. He's in the place of change. Notice what's happening there. What's happening in the wilderness? What's happening in the place of captivity? What's happening in the place of shackles? Verse 5, and all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him. What? All the country of Judea? That's kind of hyperbolic. And all of Jerusalem, everyone in Jerusalem, were going out to him. And what was happening? They were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. What's happening here? Something incredible is happening here. A revival is happening here. If you listen carefully, you can hear their chains falling off. And the excitement was so real and the excitement was so palpable because it was a concrete release. It was a personally experienced freedom and everyone wanted in on it. Second, notice how it happened. So it does happen. John's document, I mean Mark's document, he's notorious, all of them are notorious historians. Well, Mark, not so much because he just kind of, he's, he's an action hero, dude. He's just moving. But notice that how it does happen. Verse 7, here's how it happens. You want to know how it happens. How do chains fall off? How do you get released? How do you start feeling freedom? Mark says, and he preached. Who? The second Elijah, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than me. I'm giving you the literal translation. I don't know which one's grammatically correct. I asked my wife and we were 
She says me seems to be grammatically correct. I, I, do we speak that way or is it more I? Well, the English translations put I, but the literal, there's no I in the original language. There's no ego. There's me. There's me. So he's saying, after me comes someone mightier than me. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. <laughs> when he comes, he's going to release life on you. Wherever the Holy Spirit went in the Old Testament, life happened. The Holy Spirit hovered over the chaos and creation happened. The Holy Spirit went through the valley of dry bones and bones came to life happened. The Holy Spirit touches dead people and they come to life. It's happening. Chains are falling off on the spot. Change is happening on the spot while he's preaching. John's preaching is breaking chains. John's preaching is setting free. The question is still another one. How can that be? Why could that be? And even it could be, why doesn't it happen all the time? We might want to throw that in there, although I'm not answering that one right now. How could that be? Why could that be? How can John's preaching be so powerful? Because there's someone mightier than me. John preached mightier than me. Mightier than me. Mightier than me. There's someone mightier than me. And so chains fall off. People are set. Ty and I saw a great movie together the other night at the Dollar Theater. Uncomfortable seats, but the movie was there. It's on Valley Mills. There was this line in one of the songs in the movie. It was on the soundtrack. Uh, it got into our minds. It got into our hearts. I don't know about him, but I know I can't stop thinking those words. I can't stop singing them in my heart. If I could, I'd make us sing them right now. I could because I am the lead worshiper. It's taken right out of Mark's advent. It's ripped right out of John's sermon. Whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. Whom the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Chains fall off because of someone mightier than me, someone mightier than you, someone mightier. Have you never felt free as a Christian? John Buzzard writes, Christianity should feel like my chains fell off, not I better not screw up. 
you know, the way John is baptizing here is unheard of in all the world. It's unheard of in every religion that's ever happened. It's unheard of in any ancient religion. It's unheard of, period, in all religions and belief systems of the world. The religious leaders in John's day, when they would proselyte someone from it to become an Israelite, or when they wanted to get serious about God and demonstrate their sincerity, the religious leaders in John's day practiced a self-baptism. They baptized themselves. The Qumran leaders, these were a group of people that were so serious about God, they withdrew from the world. They wanted none of the contamination of the world. They wanted to be holy, law-keeping people. They separated themselves, went into the wilderness. That's where we got all the incredible texts, the Qumran community, the Qumran texts, the Dead Sea Scrolls, because something good at least came of all that stuff. But they practiced self-baptisms. So in other words, if you were serious about following God, if you were serious about keeping the law, if you were serious about being holy, if you were serious about living a sanctified life, if you were serious about being a super saint, if you were serious about being devoted, if you were serious about being committed, if you were serious about the Bible, you self-baptized, you self-washed, you self-cleansed. You self-healed. Like Jonah, you get swallowed up by yourself. That was thought, that's how everybody thought they would activate God. If I could just be holy enough, if I could just obey enough, if I could just have sincere love for God enough, if I could just sacrifice enough, if I could just give enough, if I could just be enough, if I could just do enough. But John was not administering a self-baptism. John was baptizing them. Baptism here was not being done by them. Baptism here was being done to them. In other words, God was baptizing them. God was doing the work. God was washing them. God was cleansing them. God was healing them. God was putting them back together again. God was setting breaking the chains. Someone mightier than me sets me free. Whom the Son sets free. Oh, is free indeed. Have you never felt free as a Christian? In the strictly personal section of the New York Magazine, a woman wanted to meet a man, so she put this ad in the, in the New Yorker magazine, and it goes like this. Strikingly beautiful Ivy League graduate. Playful, passionate, perceptive, elegant, bright, articulate, original in mind, unique in spirit. I possess a rare balance of beauty and depth, sophistication and earthiness, seriousness and love of fun. Professionally successful, perfectly capable of being self-sufficient, independent, but I won't be truly content until we find each other. Please reply with a substantial letter describing your background and who you are. Photo is essential. We all try to self-baptize. We're all trying to self-heal. 
We're all trying to self-wash, self-cleanse. We all try to self-baptize, and I would say to you, if we were to continue Mark, he would confirm it. The number one reason we don't feel free is because we're all trying to self-baptize. But eventually, self-baptisms fail. They do, don't they? Sometimes they fail in church on Sunday. Sometimes it happens right here. They fail us. We see it, and it's felt. But mostly, our self-baptisms fail us on our sleepless nights. In a hospital room. with the wreckage of a relationship behind us. When we lose our job. When we get evaluated by somebody, judged by somebody, rejected by somebody, accused by somebody, disrespected by somebody, disliked by somebody. When we burn out, and run our hearts and our lives and our relationships into the ground. When we're humiliated, when we're caught in sin, self-baptisms always fail in the wilderness. Don't miss this. Everyone in this text, everyone in Judea, everyone in Jerusalem had to go into the wilderness to hear good news. To hear grace. To experience freedom. To meet someone mightier than me. To have your chains fall off, you have to go into the wilderness. Have you never felt free as a Christian? Immediate following this morning's text, this text, what immediately happens is it's unbelievable. You got the baptism of Jesus in two, three verses the temptation of Jesus, Jesus begins his ministry. It's just boom, 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 boom. This is Mark's advent. Immediately following this morning's text, Jesus is baptized. Why is Jesus baptized immediately after this text? Why is that? Here's the answer, to take your place. What do you mean? Because Mark's answer to advent is he defines it in Jesus' baptism. Because Jesus' baptism is the official human substitute happening right now. In other words, the incarnation of Jesus happens. The baptism says, hey, you want to know what the incarnation means? You want to know what God adding on human nature means? Do you want to know what it means for God to invade this world? Here's what it means. It's defined in the baptism. He, Jesus, God, is going to take your place. He's going to become your wilderness He's going to become your captivity. He's going to become your bondage. He's going to become your chains. 
set you free. Someone mightier than me sets me free. I mean, if we could sing it, we would. Whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed.